Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I've made up my mind. Hmm. I want the Red Wings to draft Trevor Zegras. And I want them to put him on a line with Tyler Bertuzzi and Philip Zadina. We can call it the sleepy line. Because that's a lot of Z's. You're... (laughs) (laughs) The only reason I wanted to do that opening was to see your reaction. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Genuinely, what's... Do you want it alphabetically or by category? (sighs) (laughs) That was... Of anything that's ever been not worth my time, that's been the most not worth my time. Of all things not worth any of my time. <laughs> then it was perfect. I've heard a lot of uh, ZZ top line, which you know came about even with Zadina when they thought he might play with Zetterberg. Yep. And I've, someone tweeted at us, Z-Grass is a, uh, greener on the other side, which I thought was funny. And uh, yours is, uh, that was so much worse than anything it took all of the like corny points and just put them all in the bad category. That was just bad. So what was it going for? I should probably report this to the police, I think. Do you think there's a tip line? No, nah, they're listening. They're on their way. <sighs> Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I'm sorry for Brad. <laughs> I am Brad. <laughs> I'm Ryan. Uh, Evan is currently playing... Um, oh, I don't even, I don't even you know, know how what? to make the, fun the of The way he described it in chats, not... We no. can't bring that up. No, on. not the best. Not on the air. No, Evan's playing softball. Yeah, Evan's just playing. We're softball. just gonna end it there. Yeah. <laughs> Lots has happened though, uh, as we speak right now. Uh, and if you ever wonder how dedicated we are to bringing you uh, this great content, we are doing this during Game Five of the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, the first period just ended and it's tied. Uh, Pro, not watching the Bruins. Con, not watching Cup Finals. Yeah. Um, there's lots that's happened uh, within the Stanley Cup playoffs. Red Wings relevant news. Um, and then, of course, we're going to get back to our uh, prospect and player profiles. It's going to take a little bit of a turn on both of them in a good way and a bad way, depending on <laughs> your outlook and our amount of negativity mm-hmm. or optimism. Uh, and then, of course, we're going to head into um, overtime and just see where this episode takes us. I've had a, a long day, and I realized when I sat down, it was like one of those days where you don't sit down for hours and you don't notice up until you sit and you're like, Oh my God, that was my day. Except I had to work till eight and I had to go in early because uh, one of the coaches called in six. So I had to go in and train people in the morning. What's early. How early? Two hours. No, no, no. Like what time? Oh, time wise. It was 10. Um, that's a long day. That's I don't want that. Yeah. You literally work where you have to be active. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't, wasn't great, Bob. Um, the playoffs have been, uh, incredibly hectic. I, you know, preached that the winner of game three would be the winner of the series and Boston absolutely dummied St. Louis. And then St. Louis just did the same thing they would, they did when they won their first game and grinded Boston down, uh, to a win. Chara is, uh, took a puck to the face, 
didn't come back. Well, he came back that game. He was on the bench, which NBC did not let us forget because they cut to him literally at every point possible. Uh, sometimes during the play, uh, he had the um, fishbowl on. Um, didn't come back in the game. Got on the ice during, like between whistles to tap his teammates on the butt and just kind of say something. Turns out he has a broken jaw. Yeah, what he was saying was largely. <laughs> <laughs> it was help. They're making me play. <laughs> I've been trying to leave for four years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a prisoner. Uh, yeah, so he's, he, he's got that thing on him from Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, just, he does. They just activate it every time he leaves the building. No, honestly, props to him. He's playing with a bro. Like he's playing tonight. He had to give written answers to media questions because he literally can't speak because his jaw's wired shut. I think it's wired shut. Anyways, it's broken. Someone was like, "You can't play with a broken jaw," and they're they were right in a way. Uh, you shouldn't play with a broken jaw. Yeah. <laughs> you really shouldn't play with a broken jaw. But if anyone was going to do it, it's Zidane Chara, And he's uh, he's doing the thing. To be fair, it's hard for pucks or sticks to get up that high, but... It's very It true. apparently does happen. Yep. Every once in a while. Yeah, he's had some bad luck. He took a puck right to the wrist, like, between his uh, gloves and his elbow pads. Yeah, but no for padding. most people, there's, like, no space there. For Chara, that's, like, three and a half feet. Yeah, that's, like, one arm length of <laughs> arm between those two things. Uh, yeah, so he got he got that puck to the face, broke his jaw, and is still playing. That's, that is towing the line of, like, obviously, as, like, a fiercely passionate hockey fan, I'm like, this is what makes hockey great. Like, these guys just putting everything on the line for the ultimate goal, winning the cup. It doesn't matter if they're not at 100%. If they can play, they're going. And then, but this is getting close to, uh, let's be careful here. Like you might actually hurt yourself a lot for the rest of your life. I don't know much about Jaws. Like if he gets hit there again, like how how much exponentially worse does it get? Um, Is it broken to more broken or does it go broken to, yeah, we're going to have to like just reshape your entire face. So it depends. Like there's no jaw breaks, a good jaw break. The mandible is a hard your jaw is hard to break, and so when it does break, it's typically pretty painful, and it causes some problems. But if it's just making that one spot worse, or if it causes a new break, it it could go a hundred different ways. The most important thing is that it didn't cause a concussion, which it, according to them, it didn't. I believe nobody in the playoffs when they say, "Yeah, he can clear concussion, concussion testing." I'm like, he couldn't walk. He thought his hands were his ears. There's no way he... But the, Yeah, Zidane, what time is it? It's Monday. <laughs> well, technically, he's right. So he's, he's right, technically. No, it's, he's actually technically not. It's Tuesday. It feels like Monday, though. Right. Our Tuesday's right? Monday. <laughs> Don't Am talk right? to me until I've had my coffee. Patrice, leave, please. Why are you even here? <laughs> <laughs> what did that turn into? I don't know. That's what today is. Uh he he cleared concussion testing and you you take that for what it is. So as long as he's not at risk of like a second concussion or I guess because he, he didn't have one that's not possible, then fine. Go out there with a broken jaw, you absolute maniac. But we've been describing Zidane Chara as that for a long time. I don't know. It's all it's almost all sentiment and emotion at this point. He's still a good defenseman, but he's not like phenomenal. He was killing penalties before we started recording. Of course he was. <laughs> he has to. If he has a Dano Char, it doesn't matter if he's in the twilight of the twilight of his career. The fact that he has a, an 11 foot long stick means you have to have him on the penalty kill. There are definitely people who thought for a second, wait, his stick is 11 feet long? It's not. It's 12. If you total his cumulative wingspan with the stick, it might almost be triple that. I, how? No. It's not. 
No, but it, it might be. It would be, a, it would be close to 50 feet. <laughs> <laughs> this is the dumbest episode it's ever. It's so stupid. And Evan's not even here. Oh, this is... That, that, oh, St. Louis scored. Yay! St. Louis is up one nothing. We're an unbiased professional podcast. Uh, I mean, I think it's... My, for me, it's not even. Um, I was talking to a buddy about this. It's not even not wanting Boston to win because ah oh, rah rah Boston Marchand, you hate him or whatever. It's uh, St. Louis. A is a storied franchise who has seen a lot of pain, often at the hands of the Red Wings. Uh, and B, this is just like a storybook cup run. Like there's always that one team with a cup run with a lot of like incredible stories, wonderful emotion behind it. Between. I think her name is Layla, that little girl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Patty Maroon scoring the the big goals for his hometown team. Although uh, his entire family wears jean jackets, and I in the stands, and I still haven't figured out if that gains them points or loses them points. In I my think books. you have to give it to him. I think you have to give it to him. The Canadian tuxedo is a hard look to pull off. No, it's not. It's incredibly impossible to pull off. There you no, go. I was no. Gonna say. <laughs> No one can pull that off unless you're a famous Canadian rock band like any one of them and you're on stage at that moment. You can't pull it off. No, not all famous Canadian rock bands can pull that off. Could you imagine Nickelback walking out in those? Sorry, a good Canadian famous rock band, not the greatest Canadian famous rock band. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I went there. I will not die on that hill. Um, Where was I even? Oh, yeah. St. Louis. They're just the good story. And... (sighs) I will oh if it's not the team that I want to win, I will always prefer a new winner. And St. Louis having not won, it just all adds up for me. So everything you said, I 100% agree with, and it's a great story. I would literally be cheering for the Empire if they were playing the Bruins right now. <laughs> Despite the fact that you know St. Louis has done well, and I think that they definitely have a chance, I still have to say Warriors in four, right? I can't process what's going on in that. Mm, no, me either. Like the Warriors are losing. A series of basketball. Yeah. Of basketball. And then one of their owners is pushing an opponent. And he got fined $500,000. And he's not allowed to go to any games next year. Oh, man. Isn't next year their new arena or is it the year after that? It's next year. Oh, boy. And this guy invested $50 million in the team or something like that. Although he should be appreciative that they didn't force him to sell. Yeah, because his someone did the math. What he bought it at is now worth two hundred and ten. Yeah, and it's gonna go up even more once they have that new arena. Oh my god! But imagine Can just anybody but Golden State win this year. Come on, Toronto, do it. I know once Clay and Durant comes back, like they're screwed. Golden State's just gonna walk. So, Toronto, you somehow have to win the entire series next game. I know it's not possible, but you have to. I'm uh, I'm not a I'm a Detroit sports fan in every aspect. I don't have any animosity towards the Raptors. Um, I don't really have any any animosity towards anyone in the series besides Kevin Durant. I've made my feelings about Kevin Durant (laughs) very well known. I think he ruined basketball. And all I hope is that if the Warriors win, they do it completely without him. And he has to listen to people say that the Warriors don't need him. And he lashes out on his 16 burner accounts on social media. And then he leaves for the Clippers or whoever the hell. Because that, that's what you deserve, Kevin Durant. Now that you said that, he's coming back next game. The Warriors are going to win three straight, and the whole summer is going to be, what a difference maker Kevin Durant is. And he's truly elite. I mean, he is. He's one of the, he's one of the greatest pure scorers in basketball history. But still, why would you ruin basketball like that, man? I still remember when he signed there. Your Kevin Durant per episode streak was longer than your Steve Eiserman as the GM of the Detroit Red Wings streak. 
Steve Eisenman is the GM of the Detroit Red Wings? He is. What great news. It's fantastic. With that, we're going to bring it back to hockey. Um, I guess we'll keep you updated on the status. It will, I don't think this game will even end. Uh, so you'll know the way the game this, uh, the way this game ends before, uh, I guess, we do as you're listening to us. It's kind of funny how time travel works. Um, the rest of the playoffs, at this point, we're in a best of three, but we'll get back to that in future episodes. There's Red Wings news. Let's start with the first and foremost most prominent you can now put down your boxing gloves, Brad. Uh, it's all but confirmed. Oh, it is confirmed that Datsuk has signed with his hometown team. I can't remember their name. I'm not going to try and guess it. Starts with an uh, A. Avtomobilist or something like that? Yes, absolutely. That was actually pretty close. Um, signed with them as he said he would for literally the past decade of his life when he said he always wants to finish his career with them, uh, which means it will make it very hard for him to sign with the Red Wings this year. Yeah. So, so. that's not happening. So everybody settle the hell down. I, it didn't matter to begin with. It doesn't matter now. It wouldn't have been a bad thing if he showed up. And it's not a bad thing that he didn't. The, the amount of times I looked at my phone and I saw the little 20 plus next to the Twitter icon. I was oh, like, God. I was like, what did I say? And then it was just like a, a mention train where someone like asked us and like 10 other people answered. And I was just like, oh, Jesus Christ. Those mention trains are the bane of my existence. <laughs> it was... I like. I always love having a conversation on Twitter, but when I come in like seventeen c- tweets too deep, I'm like, hey, sorry guys, this one's all you." Yep, I'll like a couple things. And I'm out of here, <laughs> and they were all Datsuk. I even I even joked. I was like, "Can we get back to a joke uh, talking about the stuff that matters? Like who Detroit's seventh defenseman is going to be? Though that's the real crux of the issue. That's how you know you're a good hockey team when you're discussing whether you should have Luke Witkowski or Joe Hickett's up. Come on, we know it's going to be Dennis Cholosky as his seventh defenseman. Stop pretending, Ryan. Well, speaking of defensemen, uh, Libor Shulak, as uh, has been predicted for a little while now, is might have been an odd man out signed in the KHL, a one-year contract. So so here is our first casualty of the log jam. Yeah, and that's fine. Um, you know, Shulak showed some promise last year, but by no means was he anything worth holding on to. And it's his prerogative to sign elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, he was going to get leapfrogged by other people in the system, and, and that is what it is. It's it's the age-old saying, would Shulak have been a decent uh, bottom-pairing defenseman on Detroit? Yeah. He was, would have been better than Erickson, Daly, or Cronwell this year. Sure, because he could skate. He was a bit of an adventurer in his own zone, but he could move the puck and he could skate. So sure, but you know those contracts killed us, and he's the first casualty. Not that not that he's the guy who's going to make or break the Red Wings. It, he's not a needle mover, but he's also ten years younger than these other guys, and it was a waste. Yeah, I don't think I don't think my projections for him were ever really higher than a third pairing guy. But this it's just the fact that he's ten years younger is why you would want him there. Um, but it's nothing to cry over. I remember when we used to get hung up on guys like uh, Kindle or uh, who was the one uh, the one that went to Toronto? Marchenko. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, that was oh the Marchen- the great Marchenko debate. Well, yeah, this has been a rough rebuild. This yeah. has been a the yeah. Marchenko. Yeah, so it's not anything to sweat about. Um, something to sweat about. Turns out Jared McIsaac has been playing the Pretty much half of a season of hockey with a terribly injured knee? Shoulder. Shoulder. Whose knee? Oh, yeah. It was his shoulder. Um, And is having surgery and is out for five to six months. So here are some pros and cons. Pros, he's having it now. That's the only pro. Con, he's going to miss camp. He was playing as a player in a formative age physically with a brutally injured shoulder that needed surgery. For months and months and months and months and months. Shit, he might miss the World Juniors. Uh, he would have. He would have had a good claim to ca- be captain of that team this year. 
I could see, well, yeah, you know, if he comes, if he's earlier on the five month, like if he comes back early November, I can see them bringing him on. That's only like four months from now, isn't it? June, July, August, September. Eh, no, that's five months, so maybe. Yeah. I'm proud of you, man. I'm proud of you. Well, he, I was just thinking June is the six months, December's 12, quick math, and then I'm like, no, wait, that's not right. <laughs> Brad only had to use five fingers there. It was good, because if we got past five, that would have been problematic. You would have to take one of his socks off. <laughs> Where's the rest of my ditches? Because the uh, other hand would have been firmly planted in your mouth. Where else does it go? <laughs> but anyway, he, so, but even at that, he'll be, even, so even if he does come back before the World Juniors, uh, how much playing time are they going to want him to have before they consider him for the team, right? Yeah, but you also consider a guy of his talent. I just want to say, you know, his play tapered off, and this explains a lot of things, but he was still pretty impressive for a guy who needed surgery on his shoulder. Oh, that's one of the pros, yeah. is that the fact that he had as good a season as he did playing with a bad shoulder. Um, I'm really disappointed that he's not going to be in the Red Wings camp. Not that he would have made it, but I would love to have seen him do what Valeno did last year, for example, where he comes in, has an excellent camp, uh, really shows what he's about, and gives the team something to look forward to. Maybe even at the end of his, like the end of the season where he can get an audition for nine games or what have you. Um, it's not the end of the world. He's still young. He's going to play in the queue next year no matter what. He's going back to Halifax. Uh, not the best situation. Shades of Berggren, although not as bad because Berggren's happened at the beginning of a season. Yeah. So he missed a whole year of hockey. At least McIsaac will be able to play most of a year of hockey next year. Yeah. Um, conspiracy theory time. It's been a while since I put on my tinfoil hat. Do you think Halifax played it fast and loose with McIsaac and his injury to get back at Detroit for claiming the rights for fighting them for the rights to Zadina? Uh, I'm going to say your theory is actually half true, and yeah. it has nothing to do with Zadina. No, Halifax is hosting the Memorial Cup this year. Oh yeah, they were going to do everything in their power to be competitive. They made it to the Q final, so they almost walked into the Memorial Cup through the front door before they lost to Ruin Noranda in the Q finals. But then, because they were the host, they got a Invite to the Memorial Cup, in which they went to the finals and lost to and lost to Ruin Noranda. Imagine getting your number taken twice by the same team. Both championships were in Halifax. Oh, that's rough for that city. Yeah, that's bad. You know who that didn't happen to? The Windsor Spitfires. It's nice. Last time Kitchener hosted Memorial Cup, they won the OHL championship and walked in through the front door. Uh, that's such a good feeling. Yeah. Um. So the McIsaac news, not so great, but again. Long like forest to the trees, it won't matter later on. You just have to hope he has a good year of development. It sucks because he's a defenseman and he's not the biggest guy in the world. So he's much like our concerns with Rasmussen over the last few years. It's a wasted summer where he could have bulked up all and leg days, just only leg days. Yep, literally so. only leg days. Yep, and with machines that he doesn't have to grip with, and with his hands, he's gonna do a lot of squats. Oh, wait, how? As long as the injury, depending where the injury on his shoulder is, he can comfortably rest weight on his traps. Yeah, but if he can't move his arm too much, <laughs> he won't be doing them anytime soon. But yeah, just front squat. as soon as as soon as he gets that range of mobility back. Yeah, which that could be. I don't know his injury. That could be a month from now. That could be six months from now. Yeah, we're speculating at this point. Uh, I always forget Jesper or Jesper Eliasson. I just go with Jesper until I'm corrected. It's uh, a soft J, like jogging. Yes, right. Or Jarmer Jogger. Yes. Like we said, jogging. Yes. Joggering. No, this is getting... Jogging. Jogging. This is going into a place where I think it can be misconstrued. Uh, Jesper or Jesper. It's a funny yoke ride. (laughs) 
have, did I go on my rant about yolks? When I was... Uh, Wait, what? <laughs> I thought this was just going to be a rant about the cheesy joke I made at the beginning again. No, no, no. Yolks? Yolks, yeah. Okay, so... What the fuck is happening? We were camping, and uh, the I, I was pointing to the uh, part of the canoe, for those of you who have gone portaging, the part of the canoe in the middle where you lift it over your head, and then it sits on your shoulders. Like that like bracket that sits on your shoulders. And I was like... Uh, I was talking to Mel. I was like, oh, the, uh, the shoulder rest. And she's like, the yoke? I was like, it's called a yoke. She's like, yeah, the yoke. I'm like, that seems weird. And then later on, I was pointing to something else. I think like a strap on a backpack. I was like, uh, do you want to like buck up that middle strap? She's like, you mean the yoke? I'm like, not everything in camping is called a yoke. I get it. I know you're playing a trick on me because I'm not from a family that camps. Not everything in camping is called a yoke. So now anytime I didn't know what anything was called, I called it a yoke. And even things that I knew what it was called. Was like, we have to go hang up the yoke with our yoke bag with uh, using a yoke line. What are you looking at me like that for? Well, I guess the yoke's on you. Moving oh, on. You pile of garbage <laughs> do you never want to be better as a human being what's wrong with you i saw that spawn in you for like 30 seconds and you were just like physically holding it in i was i really was i saw you shove it back down your throat for a second just I, to time it correctly i closed my eyes and squinted and everything and just <sighs> let you finish because i was I was ready for that visceral reaction that was going to come out of you, and it was, oh. it was just as good as I had hoped. Heck. What the hell were we talking about? Jesper Eliasson, <laughs> before we went on a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did, this is, welcome to the Wing Wheel Podcast, where we can turn the name Jesper into a camping story followed by an awful dad joke. Uh, Anyways. All the articles are in um, Swedish. Yeah, so basically the news is he's been loaned to Almtuna yes. of the Allsvenskan, which is relevant because that's a professional men's hockey league. So now one of our top goalie prospects who had a really good season in the uh, in the junior Swedish ranks is going to be tested against uh, bigger and better competition. So that's only a good thing. And the other positive is right now Sweden, all their goalies for the World Juniors last year will be 20 by the time the tournament starts this year. So he's got uh, inside edge to be Sweden starter at the juniors right now. Um, he's, it's good because Larson is right now perceived to be the only really strong part of Detroit's goalie pipeline. And that could be true very well. Uh, Keith Petruzzelli and Jorn Van Pottelberga have something to say about that. Not that they're near the category of Larson at the moment, but they, we should not be sleeping on them. No, no. And there's a lot of people scrambling to say like draft Spencer Knight or like draft this guy. And I just want to go on the record to say Spencer Knight might very well be worth a first round pick. But in no world should Detroit trade their assets that are so incredibly valuable in the second round to move up to draft Spencer Knight. If you're moving up that far, you're grabbing another high-level talent in the area where he's going to be drafted. Yeah, Goaltending is not one of Detroit's organizational weaknesses no. in the pipeline right now. It's also the hardest position to... Yeah, and this I'm not anti-Detroit drafting a goalie this draft. If they want to take a run at Kachikov or... Uh, Mad Sogard, who Max and Max's article today said they interviewed him, the six foot seven Danish goalie who played for Medicine Hat in the WHL, uh, or if they wanted to wait till next year and maybe take a run at the Russian kid Askarov. Right, like that so. he just he seems to be every bit as impressive. Well, I mean, we had a more limited look, but still, yeah. And that's not it, it's not a knock on Spencer Knight. It's more just where do, if Detroit was drafting twenty first. And they had a lot of other needs locked up, and it was BPA. And they, Howard was gone, and Bernier wasn't there, and they really, really needed someone because they were going to be competitive in a year or two. Yeah, draft Spencer Knight. 
We uh we completely glazed over a team in our mock draft that might take a long hard look at him. Who? Pick thirteen, the Florida Panthers. There's no way they go Spencer Knight there. That would be because someone who's worthy of a top ten pick is definitely going to fall out to them, and I think it would be a huge mistake to pass up on that kind of talent. But who is Sam Montembeau, the goalie of the future for the Panthers? I don't know. Reimer is not looking good. Roberto Luongo is roughly 52 years old. I don't know. I think that'd be too high. Although by every indication, it looks like he will be the guy, or he will be drafted pretty high. So it's hard to tell you I, you're wrong. We can't be hypocrites here. We're we're both, we're in agreement on uh, draft philosophy in that we say swing for the fences. If we're looking at potential, Spencer Knight should be a top ten pick. If he was, if goalies panned out as often as as players did, he'd be a top ten pick, no doubt, hands down. Right, but it's like swinging with your bat flipped around, and you're swinging with your handle. It's a lot harder to hit on goalies, right? Oh, it is. It absolutely is. But I don't know if in this draft there's going to be franchise changers in the mid teens, except for Spencer Knight. So I just have a hard time saying that, knowing Eric Carlson's in the league, knowing that Dylan Larkin's in the league, right? Like they happen. You take Rarely. your shots. Yeah, you take your shots. But again, look at uh, what was the last goalie to go higher than 20? That's right. Andre Vasilevsky. Would you say that once a year there's a top pairing or top line forward or fringe top pairing or top line forward every year between picks 11 and 20? There's usually multiple, but they don't. Eh, you're like a, a good second line guy, number two defenseman. Yeah, every year. I would franchise changing number one goalie is not worth a number two defenseman. Yeah, you're right. Like, do you... Again, not that he will be this good, but... If he if he does end up being that good... I'm then. trying to think of players in the same age. Right now, do you trade Jacob Truba for Andre Vasilevsky? I mean, Jacob Trubda? Trubda. For Nazim Kadri. <laughs> do you see that Avery video? No, I try to not. Oh, yeah. Myself with Sean uh, Avery. Sean Avery posted a, uh, an Instagram story where he said, Leafs Nation... Breaking news from my sources in Toronto. Nazim Kadri has been traded for Jacob Trubda. Confirmed that deal is done from my sources in Toronto. This was two nights ago, so obviously it wasn't confirmed. And I no one could tell if he was just trying to be funny or just like stir shit up because of how he was saying their names, like intentionally incorrectly. And this is why I don't follow Sean Avery is very like Troop is all but gone and you know what that trade is within the realm of making sense oh it's very much in the realm of making sense for both teams I really think people sleep on Niz- Niz- I almost said Nazim Nazim Kadri's value he's playing in a 3C role when he very easily could be a good 2C for a lot of teams um, he's a, not that far from Ruf, from multiple 30 goal seasons and Jacob Troop is going to need to be paid after you pay for him in the terms of an asset to trade for him. So, uh, but regardless, yeah. Uh, what, were, what did I distract you from to talk to you about Sean Avery, Jacob Truba? Would you trade Andre Vasilevsky for Jacob Truba? No. Well, there you go. That's calling Spencer Knight Andre Vasilevsky, though. Which, and he's projected to go right around where Andre Vasilevsky was drafted, so that's a similar projection. Again, I know goalies are voodoo. Okay, but look at the last time a guy was ranked this high. What, Marc-Andre Fleury? And what has he done? Oh, my God, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but don't forget, Jack Campbell went 12th overall. 
Don't never forget that. But he's actually turned out to be a pretty damn decent goalie for L.A. last year. So who knows? We'll see. We'll see. Um, I want to get us over to our prospect profile. What we're going to do today is talk about um, we've covered pretty much everyone in range of who Detroit's going to pick at this point. Barring something absolutely wild happening, Detroit's pick is going to be between Cole Caulfield, Trevor Zegris, or Vasily Podkolzin. One of those three or guys. Or Kirby Doc, or Dylan Cousins, and please, but, if there's a just God, Bowen Byram or Alex Turcotte. We we have covered all of them, so I would bet the house right now that one of our prospect profiles that's existing is going to be Detroit's number six pick. So we could be talking about the Boldies and the, you know, the new hooks and everyone else but it's not really a value to be talking about them that you can find all the information you need out there uh we're going to start talking about some guys in the second round that detroit could hope to fall uh maybe reach a little bit for and what great news uh max boltman of the athletic just put out a piece um on guys that the red wings interviewed so uh we're gonna pull from that thank you max don't worry you guys will hear from him again soon um just to chat about a few guys starting with defensemen uh one that i actually believe i mocked to detroit we should mention that we are going to be for the second round guys grouping two to three players at a time for these profiles in the episode so that right because it's such scattershot for the second round that we're going to just try and get as many in as we can and obviously because they're deeper in the draft the profiles don't go as deep and thus does not require as much conversation uh something i do want to talk about is defensemen always rise meteorically meteoric rise yeah Defensemen always rise drastically pre-draft. Always, always, always. Look at this year. Mort Sider was mocked 70s, 50s, 30s in his like feature article, and all of a sudden he's being mocked like 12. I was listening to a podcast this morning that had him going 11 to the Flyers. Yeah. It's not... Uh, which, which, by the way, tangent. No, I'm not going to pick on and tell you guys which podcast it was, but guys, please take mock drafts with a grain of salt because nobody knows what the hell they're talking about not even us because if you listen to a a big national whatever nhl.com espn hell even like national athletic writers who don't cover local teams they don't pay attention to all 31 teams in detail the one i was listening today smart guys i value their opinion But they each did their own mock drafts. One guy had Detroit taking a center. One guy had Detroit taking a winger. And the guy who said, was talking about Detroit, said, yeah, they're strong down the middle and they need help on the wings. So here's why. What? This is why you can't trust this crap. I, like, we're mocking guys like uh, Peyton Krebs to the Canucks like we know the Canucks. We don't know the Canucks. We're doing our best guess. Now, I like to think. No, the, but that's why when we, before we mock, we qualify yeah. and say, we're not doing this based on, like, what we think the team needs, because that's... No, you always go best player available, but you don't do that in a mock draft. That's no, not fun. No one ha- no one knows the situation of all 31 teams. Yeah. They don't. If they did, they'd work in hockey. Yeah, this is true. And I like to think I keep myself, considering that this is a Red Wings podcast, and we're very Red Wings-centric, I like to think I keep myself pretty informed about the rest of the NHL, but that is only I'm spending a fraction of the time on these teams versus what I am in Detroit, so... Brad, we were we kept ourselves informed before we started this podcast. This podcast started, grew, got big all of a sudden we have to cover a lot of different things, and we now make it our job to learn more, and we still confidently say we can't speak to all these teams. Yeah. So, the big thing that we're screaming about you is 
take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Form your own opinions. Don't be afraid to call bullshit on if, some things. If you see, hey, this big national newspaper or this big website just mocked Dylan Cousins to the Red Wing. Brad, thoughts? I don't care. It doesn't matter. Oh, I don't mind that. I don't mind talking. No, I don't mind talking about it, but like people talk about it like this is like a huge source. I have seen no less than seven different players mocked to the Red Wings over the last four days. Oh, it's, the big one right now is Craig Button mocking uh, Alex Turcott 10th. Yeah, that's no, that wasn't mocked. That was his rank. His rank, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you want to do like, it, it seems crazy. I'm like, it's like, a, it's just different. It's different. It's fine. Also, you're going to find people who do stuff to be so obviously contrarian. Those like, are the, those are the worst. Like people who genuinely mock Turcotte to like eleven, or they genuinely mock like Byram to seven, and then they put someone like Newhook to three or like Boldy to two, and it's just like, not saying that that can't be how it all shakes out in the end. This has been a good year though, in terms of the contrarians, because I have not seen a mock where the top two isn't Hughes and Kako. So I think I think nobody's going. Wall. Yeah, and people aren't going that far down the rabbit hole. So not yet. Yeah, but we're getting close. It's going to happen. We're going to start off. uh, We're going to talk. Oh, another player, another defense with a meteoric rise. Thomas Harley. feels like you mentioned him a couple weeks ago, Brad. And since then, he's gone up to what? Pick four. (laughs) I I see him in the 11 to 14 range a lot now, which he was not before. Defensemen's. And it, it might be because people always forget to account for defensemen being late bloomers. It's a lot harder to evaluate their games and their value. And it's a little bit more of an unknown, but it's a huge payoff. Like, the defenseman that pans out in the second round to be a top pairing defenseman as opposed to a uh, forward in the second round who pans out to be a second line forward, you obviously want the top pairing defenseman. So you you want those where you can get them, but it's so much harder to discern. I'm going to start with one who seems to be getting more uh, attention, and I actually mocked him in our mock draft with uh, uh, Max last episode uh, to Detroit at 35. So Tobias Bjornfot, um, I, I love this kind of defenseman. He's... Not flashy. I don't love guys that aren't flashy. That's not what I'm saying. But he does everything right kind of both ways. Um, he's not perfect, but he's shown the the level of skill needed to be extremely effective at both ends of the ice. Uh, his biggest asset is his footwork. Obviously, his skating is excellent. Um, he uses it to drive offense. He uses it to move the play along. But he also uses it to be extremely smart with his positioning, uh, doing things like closing gap on def- gaps on defenders, which like... Gap management is actually pretty hard for young defensemen to do. You don't see them a lot of them being really great at that early on. What's that look for? Repressing a joke. Yeah, you should repress a joke, Brad. You've gone over your quota for the day and you know it. <laughs> uh, so he's done a lot of things effectively. And he's basically the kind of guy where you're like, no, he's not phenomenal in any one way. But when you see a guy do everything right and you know that he's still you know, 17, 18 years old, that could go a lot of good ways for you. If he just ends up being solid and you have a solid second pairing defenseman, yeah, absolutely, you take that at pick 35. Or he ends up being even better and he can slot it in your top pair, it's worth a shot for me. So Tobias Bjornfot is a guy who I think um, I would be thrilled with if Detroit uh, had in the second round. You draft a guy like that hoping that his hockey IQ translates so that his growth is exponential when it comes to playing with better players. Yeah. Because Tobias Bjornfoot, as he is right now, is nothing special. Doesn't excite me in any particular way. But like you said, he's he's good at everything. He's got a good hockey IQ and he's got a he's a great skater. So those are two very transferable skills to the NHL. But does that make him a number six defenseman? Does that make him a number two defenseman? We don't know because he hasn't played with anywhere near the level of 
skill yeah. that comes with the HL and the NHL. So he played in the junior Swedish. League, he got right? he got his cup of tea in the uh, SHL. Oh, but, okay. But um, yeah, it, I don't take a lot of what seventeen-year-olds do in professional European leagues too seriously because most of them put up zeros. Yeah, how many times have you played in professional European leagues, Brad? Yeah, exactly none. Um, what was it? Philip Peronik had three points in the Czech Pro League in his draft year in like forty games. Yeah, and he's how many? Times has he played in the NHL a lot? Oh my God, he's really good. You're right. Hey, look at that. So, but yeah, he's he's a good pick. I wouldn't be upset. He's he's not my favorite pick at 35, but I certainly wouldn't be upset about it. Uh, you seem to have a little bit more of a sense on Matthew Robertson. Talk to us about him. <laughs> um, I think actually Max's article he quoted Corey, which is the perfect quote to describe Matthew Robertson. First round toolkit. The dude skates. The dude can shoot. Everything is there, but he. His production did not match what the eyes said it should be. Now, is that a case of he's being held back by his teammates? Well, no, Edmonton was a pretty good team this year, so I'm going to say that's not the case. Uh, he was all right at the Holinka and the other international tournaments he played in. Um, he's the type of guy you draft hoping that it's just because he's young, it's just because he's tall, and he's going to figure everything out, and the production will follow. Because there's not a lot to critique about Robertson's game. It's just, you see that, and you see a guy who's got a similar skill set in Bowen Byram, who's putting up 70-ish points, and then you look at Matt Robertson, who's got 40 points. Yeah. It, it's the type of gamble you take in the second round. There's yeah. a reason he's fallen out of the first round in most mocks, but hasn't slipped out of the second round in any of them. Um, and then talking about a guy who's probably crept up into the first round of a lot of mocks is Ryan Johnson out of the USHL. Yeah, he's a, all of a sudden, most people are saying he's like a, a strong first round candidate and, and very similar to Robertson in the sense that the toolkit's there and players are really big on him. I, admittedly, out of these three guys, I knew the least about Ryan Johnson before I read the article today. And then I started diving into it a bit heavier. Um, again, he's a strong skater. Uh, Prashanth did um, some analytics for the for the article, and apparently his five on five per sixty numbers are are really impressive for the USHL. And I don't know enough about the USHL to know if his team was uh, holding him back or yada yada yada. So I'm not going to speak to that. But again, the kind of pick you like to make in the second round because the upside is there. Thompson, Robertson, are the opposite of Bjornfoot. They're the wild cards. They're, the toolkit is greater, but you look at Bjornfoot's overall resume and it's more impressive to this point. See, I actually, a lot of things I like about Bjornfoot is, are things that I like about um, Johnson, but then Johnson does a lot of things effectively. He uses his like good footwork to be a, uh, an effective defenseman. Well, yeah, Corey gave him a 60 skating grade on a scale of oh, 20 to actually? 80. Yeah, he gave him a, a well above average grade. Um and the production that, you know, Prashant pulled up was really surprising and kind of bode well for him. Um, but he, it's, it, for me, it's the intelligence. Um, it, every scout that you talk to, every piece of tape that you watch, every analysis that you see done on him is like this guy has tools, has a very deep toolkit, and it's pretty diverse, especially for defensemen, which is something you want to see. You don't want to see a, a, a single-minded defenseman, um, but he has the intelligence to de- deploy it properly. And when you talk about not knowing what a guy is going to be until he gets however many reps in the NHL, if a guy's been smart the whole way through, 
that's the best predictor in my mind for how he's going to pan out. That's the easiest litmus test that you can do to to determine whether this guy is likely to reach his potential um, or if he's going to bust. And so if you got, if you have a guy with a lot of raw talent and has shown great skating and has shown offensive ability and has shown the um, uh, a tendency to be smart defensively or do some things creatively uh, both ends of the ice, and then all of a sudden he has the brain for the game, playing defense is a smart man's game. So you want a smart man doing it. So yeah, uh, it's not surprising that Ryan Johnson's being mocked higher. Um, one of those guys where you you're picking at him, you're like, he's got a lot. He's checking a lot of boxes. The checks aren't as bold as maybe as like Bowen Byram's or other guys, but he's checking a lot of different boxes, and that could mean a lot of different things put in the right situation and given enough time to develop. And much like Robertson, you look at his raw stats and you go, eh, yeah, eh, but. Philip Ronick had three points in the Czech League. Yeah, the Czech League is not the USHL. Um, Ryan, jo- like Ryan Johnson, uh, Tobias Bjornfot, and uh, Matthew Robertson are three defensemen. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is because Detroit's likely going to be taking it forward. Byram could fall. Could. I would give it a 2% chance that one of Turcotte or Byram fall to Detroit. Genuinely. I, I really think this is the most solid the top, five has, the top four has been in, in a long time. In the yep, draft. Just like we had last year's top three of Darlene, Sveshnikov, and Zadina pegged all year. No, but before the draft, there was talks of... Like a week before. Uh, the Kotkaniemi rumors started about a month before. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they did. The Bear and Hayden then, and then, is so, not. Yeah, I was going to say, and then when Kotkaniemi was mo- rumored to Montreal, would everybody go, oh, well, Ottawa's going to get Zadina then. Good for them. And then they're like, no. ah, but Brady Kachuk. We knew Ottawa was hot on Brady Kachuk, too. But Kotkaniemi and Brady, yeah. but Barrett Hayden, we had no idea. Barrett Hayden was like, I threw my phone at the window because I thought you were lying to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is a, I would be extremely surprised if it doesn't go Hughes, Kako, and then a, one order of, of Turcotte and then Byram. So chances are Detroit's not going to be taking a defenseman with their first pick. They have three second round picks. If a high end defenseman slips out of the first round, I wouldn't mind seeing them use their first of their three picks on that. On that player. Let me repeat. Best player available always. If Detroit ends up drafting nine forwards this draft, I'm fine with it. Well, I mean, let's not get crazy, but... no. Best you're, player available you're always. Right, you're right. Best player available. I would be happy if the best player available was a defenseman that slipped through the first round. Yeah. Imagine it's like a cameo. Now, the, now where you can get picky is in the second round, you're going to have a cluster of about 30 very comparable players talent-wise. So you absolutely can cherry-pick position at that point. because, But unless you have a guy who falls, like we were certain the Red Wings were taking a defenseman at number six. And then they took a forward. It's okay. We were certain the Red Wings were taking a defenseman at 30. Yeah, but then Joe Valeno fell. Yeah. We were certain the Red Wings were going to be taking a defenseman at 33. And then Jonathan Bergen fell. Best player available always. If there's, if there's that guy on your list who's head and shoulders above everybody else around him in your mind, you take him. Yeah. You absolutely have to make that pick. Because I guarantee you in six years when Bergen scores his fourth consecutive uh, game-winning overtime goal in the playoffs, you're going to say, man, I'm really happy that we didn't, you know, break away from this guy just because we didn't see a defenseman on the board. It helped that they had another pick, three picks. Yeah, later. yeah, yeah. That's and they bad. took Jared McIsaac with that pick, so it all worked out in the wash, but I'm just saying. Um, we will obviously do more of these. Uh, we're not going to focus only on defensemen. Uh, we'll be doing uh, some a different range of players, and of course we'll have Max talk about that as well. Uh, let's get to our Red Wings player profile. Ugh. 
This is one I've been dreading because uh, you guys are sick of hearing it, but we have to do it. Just an applicator. Oh, uh, boy. I love you, Abby. I'm going to start that by saying, I'm going to start this by saying, I'm rooting for you, bud. I hope you can bounce back. I was thinking about it the other day, and I was I was saying if anyone on this team needs to have a Danny DeKaiser last year season, which isn't wasn't a miraculous season. He just played a little better. Wasn't as bad as he has been. Justin Abdelkader is that guy. I'm not betting on it. I would actually bet a lot of money against it if someone gave me odds. I would put all my money against it. That feels crappy to say because Justin Abdelkader is a great guy. And I know when we harp on him on the show, we get a lot of blowback from people saying you're being too critical. Lay off. There's, we get it. There's no point. Trust me, we wouldn't be talking about it if we weren't committed to doing the Red Wings player profiles. It's no mystery to anyone. Abdelkader has a bad contract, bad term, egregious term, bad cap hit, and he's playing a below replacement level level of hockey. Um, that is what it is. Buying him out makes no sense financially for the team. Jonathan Willis of The Athletic actually had a fantastic article today about uh, NHL-wide buyout candidates. He put the top 25 candidates and then put them in categories of not very likely, more likely, but still not realistic. Okay, maybe. And then, yeah, that's probably going to happen. The Detroit Red Wings did not have a single player fall in the, yeah, that's going to happen. The Detroit Red Wings did not have a single candidate fall in the, hey, there's a good chance. But they did have two fall in the top 25. They had Jonathan Erickson at number 15. And they had Justin Abdelkader at 20. But even he said, yeah, this makes no damn sense at this point to buy him out. So let's just get that out of the way now. If Abdelkader has another dumpster fire of a season this year, okay, you very seriously look at doing it next summer based on where the team's at. So if the Red Wings show some progression this year to the point where, hey, we might be in the market for a playoff spot the following season, okay, then you very seriously look at it because you might need the cap space right away. Detroit does not need the cap space this year. No. And by waiting another year or two to buy him out, because I think it's going to get to that point eventually, Mm -hmm. you're taking years off the end of the buyout. So it only makes sense to hold on as long as you can. And I'm not saying just an applicator is going to be worse than a guy coming up from Grand Rapids. I'm also saying, I'm saying he might be worse than a guy, any random guy coming up from Grand Rapids, but we can sit here and say pretty comfortably, he can at the very worst plug in on your fourth line and be serviceable and kill some penalties. So it's not that he's so bad. You need to get him off this team immediately. If he was making a million dollars a year or $2 million a year right now for like two or three more years, we still wouldn't love how the guy's producing, but we wouldn't be up in arms. No. And that's what we have to remember, because I've dumped on Abby all points of this contract. And I've even watched games this year where I've said on the next episode, yeah, he should be out of the lineup. And on most nights, yeah, ideally he should be. But him versus a Dominic Turgeon, there's not an appreciable difference there. I can comfortably say he's probably still better than Turgeon at this point. So don't buy him out, use him, and and pray that he figures something out just to maybe get up to 30, 35 points again. Not betting on it, but it's way too early to abandon ship. Yeah, you try. It's one of those situations where it is what it is. Things that Abdul Cater genuinely does bring, 
a lot of the fans love him. He's a Michigan boy, which I know we joke about Michigan perspective a lot, but it does do something for the fans. So at a time where the team's not doing the best, to say the least, he's going to have a lot of support behind him. He's a leader in the dressing room. He's pretty well respected uh, like around the league and on the team of, most importantly, mentoring the young guys coming in. There's a youth movement. You kind of want that solid backing. I wouldn't, you know, if I had the choice, I wouldn't have him in the current roster makeup, especially as he slots in right now. But you can't sit there and say he's drawing anything bad away from the dressing room. That's me. That's about as much as I can sugarcoat it, though. Yeah. It's not his fault. And that's, I feel bad because it's, he's just taken so much heat. He's a, he got the contract. He's a 32, 31, 32 year old forward, bottom six forward who's playing and progressing very much like almost every other 31, 32-year-old forward. Like, we should not hold Abdelkader accountable for that. No, he got he got paid. It's he his got the contract. contract. In front of him. Of and, course he's going to say yes to that. And as much as I've ripped on him all year, I've always made the point of mentioning, hate his contract, not the player. Yeah. Again, it gets back to the point. He has decreased, uh, he has regressed to the point where I... Again, if he's making $1 million a year, I probably have him in Grand Rapids. Probably. But again, because I just would give the tie to the young player. But in this day and age, you give the tie to the contract. Mm-hmm. So here we are. So let's dive into it. He didn't have 10 goals. He did not have 20 points. Most of his goals came via an empty net. Their applicator was used improperly like a lot of other guys who are even better than him in his situation. He was deployed in situations where the team had gaps above him and they kept slotting him in as they have been doing him properly for his whole career, putting him in top six situations or high intensity or, or high value situations. He doesn't generate offense. He's not going to all of a sudden get better in that just because you're giving him the responsibility. Like Brad mentioned, his plays decreasing on a normal age curve. This isn't, wasn't a surprise to anyone. What you have to do is shelter his minutes and give him give him minutes where you're maximizing his potential to either to be at at worst a net neutral on the ice. Sheltered minutes, grinding minutes, you know, relieving ice time, make him the thirteenth forward a lot of the time, that kind of stuff. Luke Glendening, Darren Helm, and Justin Ablocator can be a very serviceable fourth line. A way too expensive fourth line with way too much term, but you can deploy them as your fourth line and feel comfortable while they're on the ice that they're not going to just bungle everything. They ain't going to score you many goals, but they're also good enough defensively that they're not going to give up much against. So if Detroit wanted to deploy that old motto of, hey, let's throw the fourth line out against Crosby's line so that Larkin and Athanasiu can get free reign of the rest of the roster, that's a line that might be able to handle that. Not well, but well enough. That might be the best case scenario this year because the biggest sticking point for me in terms of why I'm dumping so hard on Abdelkader for the season was if he scored six goals and had 19 points on the fourth line, I'd, I'd count that as a win. I see this as a, I see this as a total this win. This is an absolute win. Yeah. The problem is he spent a good amount of the season with Dylan Larkin and still couldn't produce. That That's the writing on the wall right there. Again, he's going to do... The guy's a warrior. He's going to do whatever the coach asks of him. The coach should not ask him to be playing with Dylan Larkin. And if you're saying, well, there's no one else. No, I promise you that anyone else. Uh, anyone else. Put Dan Bilesma out there. I'm ready. 
maybe on Brad, maybe I'm ready. Uh, it's not on him, but at this, at, when you do stuff like that, it's he's not producing, and then he's also holding a guy like Dylan Larkin back. That's plain and simple. That stuff should go away this year. Zadina's going to be up. Valeno has a chance of cracking the roster. Don't put too much stock into that, though. He has a shot. He has a shot. He has, they're going to give him an honest shot. Sveshnikov has a shot at making the roster. Hiroshi. Hiroshi. There's other guys who should be mitigating the amount that Abdulkader slots in those top six minutes. And we did see that kind of recede over the course of the season as Blashell maybe became more comfortable. But... He falls on Blasio, and that's a funny thing to say. It's a boring analysis on the guy because we're not getting into the intricacies of his game because it's like he's fighting the age curve. Again, I I hate to say it because I want to sit here and, and pull the positives out of the season so that we can mention them as part of an honest review. And I'm not being facetious, but I can't think of any. Mm. I legitimately can't. I don't remember a moment where oh, that one goal he had against Tampa Bay. That was filthy. We need to see more of that. Yeah. Where he just came, cut hard wide, put his shoulder down, went to the net, undressed Vasilevsky. Great. I remember him doing that. I was like, oh, man, we are going to eat that next episode. I love when that happens, though. Yeah. You want to... The Abdulkader is the type of guy you root for. Absolutely. You absolutely root for him. Now we have poor reasons to root for him because we just want him to be worth his awful contract. But you still want to root for the guy. I wish it wasn't eight years, you know? No, I know. It was the second that was signed, we knew. We knew the the absolute shit show that was going to follow. I'm doing my best to not do retroactive I told you so's. And with that, I'm going to move us along because I think that's as much as we can do, Because we told you so. Um, We're going to move along to uh, our Patreon or Overtime, which, of course, uh, for these midweek episodes is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Uh, All our comments get read out on air, guaranteed is our way of saying... Hey, thanks for supporting the dub dub. Adam Flett says, hi, all Brad, Ryan, maybe Evan, probably Max. Uh, <laughs> wondered if you had time to read Scott Wheeler's athletic post in the Leafs pick uh, picks a D who had target if he was dubious. I think there's a typo in there, but I'm not able to put it together with my evening brain. Okay. What? Um, who he target if uh, he was dubious. I uh, wondered if any of you had seen or will be doing it for the wings. Oh, yeah, I guess that's what we're doing now is who we would target if we were Steve Eisman. Carlson, comma, Eric. No, he means in the draft, you dingus. <laughs> uh, maybe it wasn't for the draft. I haven't read the article. I'll go read it and we'll talk about it next episode. Okay. Uh, thanks for the pods. And is it Zegris Day yet? No, not yet. And it, I don't know. It's not yet sleepy time. Uh, Kaylin Wood says, I've been doing a lot of thinking on the subject of who the GM of the Detroit Red Wings, who's Steve Eisenman, by the way, uh, will pick at number six in this year's draft. I'm actually really surprised that more people aren't talking about this, and I've come to the conclusion that it should be someone really good. So I hope that happens. Next, I'd like to address how much I hate that there is, one, a limited viewport for typing a comment in Patreon, and two, there's no UI commenting on Patreon. For example, enter, submit, not... Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a nightmare. Uh, typing comments and the way they load. I've actually put in a couple of comments. They're like, community feedback. I'm like, please just make the comment system better. So maybe we can do that somehow. Um, 
they are making a lot of changes so it could improve. Uh, Nick Toye, Toyeus, or Nick Toyes says, sorry if I'm saying that wrong, man, um, says, hey, gents, uh, last year we had Zadina fall to us at six, and I think that could happen again this year with Byram. We all know Hughes and Kakor are going one and two to the Devils and Rangers. Chicago will probably take Turcotte at three because the only way to get a number one centerman is by drafting them. And what better way to grow one than by having him learn under Taves and play with Kane slash DeBrinket? Oh, my God, it makes me so sick. <laughs> That they got that. They, ugh. Uh, also, Chicago still uh, wants to compete. So uh, they know taking Byram and having to develop him would take too much time. Colorado needs forward depth more than uh, defensive depth. And from different stuff I've been seeing, it seems that they like either Doc or Cousins. And oh, I believe please. they lean that way and take one of those two players. The thing is, though, Sackick is a smart man and probably wouldn't let Byram pass. But for the for argument's sake, he takes Doc or Cousins. Now with LA, I think they take the old Detroit route where they want, still want to compete now and they need goal-scoring help. And who better to get than Caulfield? They can play him with the sixth pick. The Wings get their hopeful number one D-man in Byram. Any thoughts or opinions on this take? So it's not the craziest method ever, but um, I'm going to correct you on one thing. If your mentality is LA wants to win now, Cole Caulfield is the last player they are taking because he is five foot seven and absolutely will not be ready for the NHL next year. If LA's in win now mode, they're going to draft one of the WHL monsters in uh, whichever one of Doc or Cousins Colorado doesn't take because those guys are more suited to step right in the lineup because they're physically ready. Uh, cousins more so than Doc, but I could see LA with that mindset. The thing with, here's the thing that we have to remember about this whole draft thing. Bowen Byram could be the second best player on the Rangers, Hawks, Colorado, and LA's list at the time. But if they like one player more, he goes all the way down. So for all we know, Chicago's list, once Hughes and Kaka were gone, could be Turcotte Byram. Okay, well, then they're going to take Turcotte. And then Colorado comes up, and their list is Cousins Byram. Well, then they're going to take Cousins. And then LA comes up, and their list is Zegris Byram. Well, then they're going to take Zegris. It happens. That's how there Joe Valeno gets to... Here. There is. It's not the craziest scenario in the world. And we don't know in scouting rooms. We don't know what teams value. We don't know what they like. LA hasn't done a great job with their drafts lately, if we're being honest. LA disagrees internally right now on whether or not they should rebuild. Spoiler Rebuild yesterday. So there is wild cards here. Again, Colorado, they're crazy if they don't take Byram. But like you said, they have a much more desperate need for forwards. But Max also brought up a great point that Colorado has to worry about defensemen with the expansion draft upcoming, and they could use some protection on that. And Byram would provide that on top of being the best player available at that point. So again, I'm not betting at all Byram gets to six but it's not that crazy to think about no uh Garrett TV says sup dub dub amigos I always have been shown a willingness to get uh in the past to move young pieces in order to get better with that in mind uh of all of our current under 25 players and prospects who do you think uh could be most likely to be used as a trade piece I'm not saying that will happen, just exploring potential names. For me, it's probably Athanasiu, but I could see a couple guys potentially sacrifice in the next one to two years if it means improving our future trajectory. One way or another, it seems unlikely that all of our under-25 players are still around in three years. What do you think, Ferk the Bruins? I think you are you hit the nail on the head with Athanasiu. I think his perceived value is the highest, especially relative to his actual value. Runner-up would probably be Mantha, but I would be a lot more hesitant to move him because uh, that's a guy who's you know, producing, but still has a lot, very obviously has a lot of untapped potential. So you wouldn't want to move him 
too early unless a team is crazy hot on him. Athanasiu is flashy. He generates a lot of offensive scoring chances, and he could slot into a team that has a lot of other pieces set out, and he's set in, he's put in a position to succeed. For example, on McDavid or Dreisaitl's wing, something like that. Um, yeah, so I think if one's going to move, Athanasiu is one, and he needs to be paid soon, so... But again, if we're keeping our eyes to the future, yeah, you keep your top players under the age of 25. In general. It's a reality. So if I put money on the table, I would bet all of them are still Red Wings in a few years. So If you had the opportunity to move um, Athens to you as part of a deal for a stud defenseman, though, you do it. Oh, 100%. That is like, if that's... Off- depending, depending. If we draft Byram, I would say no. Because you lo- if we draft Byram, there's our potential number one guy coupled with Hironik, Chalosky, Lindstrom... McIsaac, Hicketts, Sariarvi, whoever else we end up drafting in the second round this year, there's a base of defensemen there that's looking really promising for the forward. It's just like we've been saying all year, we're just missing the number one guy. Byram solves that. At which point the weakness of this team system very clearly becomes forwards. So I don't know. At that point, I would have to, I would look long and hard at keeping Athenasiu, depending on how uh, the next season goes for for the defensive prospects. William Schlensky says, Hey guys, brand new patron. Just want to get your opinion on a situation at West. First of all, thank you, William, for supporting the show and welcome to the dub dub family. Uh, I know there's been no talk connecting us to William Carlson, but given uh, Vegas cap, Vegas's cap situation and our need for a number two center, do you think there's a situation? Uh, that's a situation. The wings keep tabs on. Thanks for all the work you do. Your podcast helps me get through um, the workday. Let's go wings. Uh, I love William Carlson, Carlson, but it makes no sense for him to come to Detroit. He's due a new expensive contract. And uh, he's not that old, so that doesn't hurt things too much. But Detroit's biggest asset in their organization right now is cap space. Yeah. Don't ruin it. Yeah, you can't be giving up. He will. He would be an expe- inspe- expensive piece to acquire. And how much of his production was due to the fact that he's playing with Riley Smith and Jonathan Marchessa? I'm a big believer in William Carlson's actual talent level. No, I believe he's a consistent 20 to 25 goal scorer for the next bunch of years. Uh, 40 and 30 seems optimistic to me. You put him with Athanasiu and I don't know some rookie or Franz Nielsen. Yeah, I don't think he scores north of 25. I'd sooner, if you're cons- if you're Detroit and you're looking to shore up that center spot, I'd sooner just say, fine, then we'll draft Zegras. And our makeup of the team is Larkin Zegras, uh, Valeno down the middle with some really good scoring wingers, and I'm satisfied with that. That can't be understated. If we do take a center at six, our in theory, our top nine, our top three centermen are set for the next ten years. Yeah. Because if we're drafting a center at sixth overall, that should be a top six center. That should be a guy that you can comfortably pencil in on a power play unit and your second line for a long time. His worst case scenario scenario should be third line center. So if we do draft a Zegris, Detroit should no longer be in the market for center because you have Larkin, Valeno, and Zegris there for a long, long time. Uh, Alex Zucco says, hey guys, first time commenter, new patron, so happy to be up a level with you guys now. Alex, thank you and welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. Family, we appreciate your support. A million levels. You're up a million levels with us. We love you 3,000. Stop. 
Uh, posted this uh, on the last overtime thread, and the question is, how far you'd be willing to go to trade current future assets for a not-so-young but not-so-old asset that could still be near his prime when the Red Wings are done rebuilding? Uh, the Truba trade scenario is a good case study for this, but I feel like there's more possibilities based on Stevie's trade history as he's proven capable of making surprising trades happen. So let's look at a player who would project to be a little bit better for Detroit than Truba in terms of you know optimal prime and then optimal prime. Uh optimal like prime coming up as Detroit's contending and his level of play because there's some question about Truba's perceived value versus what he's actually putting out on the ice so we have to pick a team who'd be willing to trade a good young-ish defenseman and what we would give up for them yeah Andreas Athanasiu and pick 35 to the Nashville Predators for Ryan Ellis yeah yeah well they just extended him though had a very good contract. You know, I saw some hate for that contract. Those people were wrong. He's 28 years old. He's older than I thought. Yeah. I thought he was like legitimately 26. My God. Two th- oh my God. He was in the 2009 World Juniors. Jesus, I feel old. Yeah, he's 28 years old. Okay, so. Do you uh, but the problem shoot is- for a Dante Fabro? Do you shoot for one of the Carolina guys? I don't see how Carolina doesn't get something done with Toronto with what they've got. I I, I don't love the Carolina guys, though. Justin Falk is probably older than I would like. He's 27. Brett Pesci is probably not dynamic enough for what I would give up a premium asset for. I would do the Brett Pesci deal. If there was a Brett Pesci deal on the table, I'd do it. I would do it, but not for what they would likely ask for him. I don't know if I wouldn't do Athanasiu for Pesci. No? No. He's a cap. Oh man, I I like Pesci, but mm, I wouldn't give up a thirty goal score. For He's him. cap controlled at less than what Jonathan Erickson's paid up until twenty twenty four, and he's only twenty four years old. And he's a right handed shooting defenseman. Mind you, I would give up just about anybody on the Red Wings for Jacob Slavin. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Who's he? Um, that they just have some phenomenal contracts. What about Dougie Hamilton? Yeah, I would take a long hard live, but yeah, I would say no to any he's, of them. He's a little younger than Ellis, so that would be I would throw a similar package at Dougie. There's some uh, Detroit's a historical city. There's some museums he would enjoy. Uh, you, what you're hearing is uh, Hurricane Mika upstairs. She comes twice a week, and uh, forecasters actually predicted she would be asleep today, and uh, they were wrong, as weathermen always are. Uh, Joe Caboose one one nine Z Falzone says, "I'm really apprehensive about taking Pod Colson over any of Zegris, Doc Cousins, Krebs, Boldy, Caulfield, and Newhook. I just don't think he has the high end skill that they do." Brad, why am I wrong? Especially if we take him over Zegris, because he has the high end skill that you can visibly see with the, with your eye. Um, the only concern with Pod Colson was his production this year. You would have expected more points for how you look at his skill set, his shot, his hands, his compete level. They're off the charts. They're top 10, no doubt, all day, every day. But I think the lack of production was because, and I've, I've read, a, I read a really good article, and I want to say it was Dauber Prospects who broke down that, the fact, well, he didn't play more than 13 games with any one team this year, so that's going to throw anybody off. Um, So I'm not sold on him being a top five pick talent-wise, but I'm sold on him being a top 10 pick talent-wise. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's not coming over to North America for two years isn't ideal, but whatever. Detroit's not in a position where that really matters that much. I go Zegris over Pod Colson because Ty, to me, goes to the centerman. Yeah, same. Um, and he's a little more controlled being in North America. But 
yeah, over like New Hook Krebs. No, it's it's Pod Colson all day, every day. Uh, Rob Brasso says, hey, guys, just joined today. Love the podcast. Been listening for quite some time now. Finally, a position to support the podcast, especially loving the prospect stuff. I think this might be the first time I've ever been so invested in a draft in a draft and been so knowledgeable about prospects. So thanks so much for that. That first of all, welcome, Rob, to uh, the Dub Dub family. And secondly, that means the world to us. The fact that we can get people engaged and informed and as invested in this kind of thing as we are um, means a lot. Obviously, we work hard to do this for you, but it's something that we love too. And the fact that we can, sh- anyways, I'm getting sappy. Thank you, Rob. I'm smiling big right now. Uh, he says, "So I got a couple questions. What are the chances Valeno makes the roster this year? In a limited capacity, I'd say there's a reasonable shot he plays quite a bit. He'll see Detroit this year, um, and much if, like Zadina did last year, at the minimum. In a full time capacity, it is entirely contingent on how much. If he can have a dominant camp, then I would give it a fifty fifty shot." It's let's preface this. He has to dominate camp. A really good camp doesn't get him on the team. There's a lot of players who aren't going to be projected to be better than him over the course of their careers, but are closer to NHL ready. Sveshnikov is going to get a more serious look. Hiroshi is probably Hiroshi and De La Rose, all those guys. Different positions. But we've seen how the team favors those guys in the bottom six, which are going to fill up those roster spots. Ty goes to the veteran. Unfortunately, all the time. Yeah, no, um, but we also don't know how Eisenman hit what his philosophies are because we're quick to look at guys like Valeno and Zadina and their junior stats and go, oh, holy crap, this guy's a star. Get him in the NHL tomorrow. Um, you know who else had that kind of feeling going into the rookie season? Yes, he pulled you, RV. How's that going? It's still, you don't want to over, I hate the term over ripening prospects because that's garbage nowadays. But you don't rush yeah, a prospect. They've spoiled that. Just because Valeno looks like he's close to NHL ready this this year doesn't mean you shoehorn him into the lineup. He is a guy that if he comes into camp and has a camp actually not too dissimilar to, to last, last season, year, yeah. where he just blows everybody away. Yeah, you put him on the roster, but then you also give him the, hey, kid, good job. We're going to take a look at you. But if this goes south in the first month, your ass is on the first bus to Grand Rapids. Like preface that with him and if he doesn't go down amazing that's a terrific development but if he does then hey well this is what we were expecting a month ago kid congratulations you held on this long i will give it an optimistic one in five shot yeah that's about where i'm at uh what are the chances or what are the odds we move a veteran d-man to make room for the young guys and who's the most likely candidate to be moved outside of mike green are we talking trade or buyout because if we count buyout it's erickson erickson for buyout daily for trade um or you just don't bring back cronwall in terms of moving anyone else, I don't think anyone will be moved. Yeah, that uh, like it's not being talked about. We're in June now, and there's been no definitive anything on Cronwell yet. Yeah, it all died out very fast. That's interesting because I figured if he was set on coming back, and if Eisman was set on him coming back, they'd have something done by now, so that they could plan around that. Uh, love the show. Only way to get the Red Wings news where I live was Saga Beach. Keep up the good work, Saga Thank Beach. Hey, eh? so much, Rob. Ontario um, boy. Cameron Brown says, hey, guys, been a while since I commented. Guess you could say I'm taking the Evan approach to podcasting TM uh, with some cap space coming up. What would you all think of a trade with Toronto? Something similar to Colorado's trade for Orpic and Grubauer trade for Marlowe and a decent piece and then just buy out Marlowe. Uh, I would just play Marlowe for the year. Um, yeah, would there's, keep a, yeah, let's be clear on one thing. If Detroit acquires any bad contract with one year left, Marlowe, Callahan, whoever it's dumb to buy them out 
because you're adding an extra year of a cap hit when you have a ton of cap space this year and it doesn't matter. If you want to grab Marlowe and just send him straight to Grand Rapids, you don't buy him out. You're not going to get any cap savings, but you don't need the cap space this year, so it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, that being said, if Toronto called up and they're like, hey, we want to send you Marlowe, and Detroit's like, cool, send us Bracco as well. I do that all day, every day. Yeah, you make those picks. You absolutely do those moves. And, or if Tampa call, calls, hey, Ryan Callahan, you want him? Yeah. Who are you giving us? Uh, Taylor Radish. 100%. Uh, Joseph Fournier says, is there a player mid to late in the first worth the Detroit Red Wings general manager Steve Eisenman flipping any or all three of the second round picks for? No. I don't think there is. The margin between each projected mid first to mid second round prospect is thin and subjective. That is exactly right. Uh, I don't mean, I don't see it happening unless it's a swap for a pick or two up that yields minimal loss for a player they've identified as a must have who has dropped. Uh, the Pistons aren't in that bad of shape. They desperately need a starting point guard not named Reggie Jackson and a few bench swaps. Blake and Dre are fun to watch again when they're both healthy and clicking, but some of the big bench contracts like uh, John Lawyer, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, uh, need to go. Uh, I don't know. I'm a casual at best basketball fan. I will. I love when the Pistons are good. And I'm not, I can't tell you what's wrong when they're bad. So thank you for that. Uh, I'm all, I'm all on board for Carlson, Eric or William. Uh, it's a lot of money now, but at the rate of league growth, Melker. his his cap hit later in his career wouldn't be as large of a share of his cap space. Need, need, need an elite blue liner. By the way, Steve Eisman is the GM with the Detroit Red Wings. Sorry, I'm long-winded. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Thank you, Joe. Joseph. I call you Joe. Is that okay? Did I call you Joe when we met? I feel like I just did that. I sometimes do that with people. It's not great. I call you Brad. And your full name is Bradith, and I never say that a lot. <laughs> I was wondering where that one was going. I call Evan, Evan, and his full name is Dipshit, so. <laughs> oh, Crystal liked that. Crystal got a laugh Yeah, that. Crystal did like that one. <laughs> uh, Mika, we, uh, Mika called someone a dipshit a few weeks ago. Shut up. No, she didn't. Yeah, she did. That's amazing. Who did she learn that from? Um... That could have been either of us. That could have been me, actually. Yeah, there's there's a lot of candidates on that one, unfortunately. It was someone talking to Ollie for sure. We're we're <laughs> we're not a household that views swearing as like this sacrilegious thing like a society does, and um, we're we're we've tried to scale it back. Like we actively try to not swear when Meek is around. We're just bad at it. <laughs> Her or the dogs often do something where you're just like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> and then you swear, and you're like, you dipshit, yeah. I, I, now that you mentioned it, I actually probably was when we were yelling at the dogs. Almost definitely. Ollie definitely did something and we called him a dipshit. Uh, I got a laugh through an entire uh, floor of your house. And so with that, I'm going to end on a high note. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we're going to work on getting uh, finding wherever Evan is tied up and free him so he's back for Sunday. Oh, I got a great idea. We're only 30 patrons away from 200. When we get to 200, we'll reveal Evan's location. <laughs> yeah, forget the jersey giveaway that's happening. We'll just reveal where Evan is. It's like the world's most dangerous game of geocaching. Uh, we want to thank all of our supporters, all of our listeners, our name level sponsors, <coughs> Sky Carcass, Luke, John Luke Johnson, Arjun Shanker, Clayton Van Dyken, Mike Reed, Langabeer, Matthew M. Rice, Kalen Wood, Charlie Elkins, John Evans, Rob Thiel, Stan Olson, Ryan Alant, Ryan Lewis, Hannah Lee. Thank you all so much. If you guys want to support the show in, the, uh, in another way, two things. One, listen to the outro. She has a lot of great advice for you. Two, tell a friend about the show. We think it's pretty fun. Just like Clayton's roommate, Dave. 
Hi, Dave. Hey, Dave. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.